If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up a section in verses 15 through 17 of this chapter, which is all about what our daily priorities ought to be as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. One of the glorious realities that is ours as believers is that we are in Christ. We are united to Christ by faith. To such a degree that Paul says earlier in Colossians 3 verse 3 that our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are, as he said earlier in chapter 2, immersed into Him spiritually. And in that wondrous and mysterious union we discover in Christ a brand new reality and life. We have a brand new past when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as Paul makes very clear in chapters 1 through 2. In Christ, we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been made holy, blameless, and above reproach before God. We've been reconciled to God, and we've been made spiritually alive. We have a brand new past in Jesus. We also have a brand new future in Christ as well, as Paul makes likewise very clear. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven, as he says in chapter 1, verse 15. Or again in chapter 1, verse 12, God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. We have a brand new past, and we have a brand new future in Christ. But not only do we have a brand new past and a brand new future in Christ, we also have a brand new present. A brand new present. As Paul says in chapters 3 through 4, and in chapter 3, verse 4, Christ is our life. Present tense. Our life right now as believers, is and ought to be completely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. We have a brand new life that ought to be reflected by a brand new lifestyle. And that's what Paul has been describing here in Colossians chapter 3. He has been describing for us how we ought to, as believers, live as those who have received a brand new past, present, and future in Jesus. He's been describing how we ought to live as those in Christ. And so what we've been learning is that living out our brand new life in Christ all comes down to having brand new priorities. Brand new priorities. Showing the world that Christ is above all happens more than just with our words. It happens in our daily actions which are determined by our daily priorities. And so Paul has been showing us what our daily priorities ought to be as those who are in Christ. And there are three that we must make and maintain. If we want to show that Christ is above all, then we must first let the peace of Christ rule. We must let the peace of Christ rule. Second, we must let the word of Christ dwell. And then third, we must let the name of Christ prevail. This is how we show on a daily basis that Christ is above all. By letting the peace of Christ rule, the word of Christ dwell, and the name of Christ prevail. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, 
Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the Word of God, who in the midst of our affliction gives us life according to His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this great, precious privilege we have this morning to open up Your Word. We thank You that You have promised to accompany the preaching and teaching of Your Word with the power and illumination of Your Spirit. So Father, we pray that this morning we might be able to understand the things that are freely given to us in Christ Father, help us to understand these words. Help us to grasp the significance of these truths and help us to live in light of them for the honor and the glory of Christ. Father, do a work in our hearts this morning that would last for all eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we want to live a life that shows others on a daily basis that Christ is above all, that we must make it our daily priority to first let the peace of Christ rule, as we saw in verse 15, right? All, in all of our decisions, we must remind ourselves that we are on Christ's side in all of our emotions. We must remind ourselves that Christ is my life. And then second, as we started looking at last week, we must let the word of Christ dwell. That is in verse 16. That is in verse 16, where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now last week we looked at the fact that if you want to have the Word of Christ dwell and be at home in you richly, then you must not only read God's Word, you must also heed God's Word. In other words, it's not enough to simply let your eyes flow over the words on the page. You must pay attention to God's Word. You must ask questions of it. Think about it so that it could lodge deeply in your soul. And when you do that, when, through constant exposure to the truths of Scripture, the Word of Christ begins to uh, dwell in you richly, it transitions from being an awkward acquaintance in your life to becoming a bosom friend, and you'll discover a spiritual enlivening that comes upon your soul. As Jesus said in John 6.63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And so as the word of God comes to dwell in you richly, the spirit of God is then equipped to fill you and empower you to live for Jesus. You are spiritually enlivened by the word of life as Philippians 2.17 describes it. And so drink it in, right? That's what Paul is saying. Let it fill you. Let it dwell in you richly. For as Psalms 119.25 states, when, the, when my soul clings to the dust, you give me life according to your word. But you have to ask yourself, what is the evidence of that spiritual enlivening? That spiritual filling? Paul mentions two in this passage. Two results of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. First, it is the sharing of truth. And second, it is the singing of truth. So first, the sharing of truth. Paul writes this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
So when you are filled full with the Word of Christ, when you are truly reading and heeding the Word of God, you're going to both positively instruct, Paul says here, and you're also going to negatively admonish or warn others in light of the truth. Basically, when the Word of Christ begins to dwell in you and be at home in you richly, you're going to start sharing and saying whatever the Scriptures say. It's going to dwell in your heart and is going to come out of your mouth. You will not be able to keep it to yourself any longer. I think this is very important for us as believers to observe because that means that when the Word of Christ has truly lodged itself with glorious conviction in your heart, your soul, and your life, you always do something with it. You share it. That's what Paul is saying here. To put it another way, those who have truly had the Word of Christ dwelling in them richly don't grow fat on the Word of God. They grow fit. They get a fire of conviction lodged within them and they tell others what they, by God's grace, now know to be true. I do not care how many years you have have sat under the preaching of God's Word. My question for you this morning is what are you doing with any of it? Because if you have truly received the word of Christ as it must be received, you're not just hearing it, you're sharing it. You're sharing it. This is so important because this means that those souls who come to church, who just come and listen and leave and never do anything about it, their problem is not that they've gotten too much of God's word. Their problem is actually they've gotten too little of it. Oh, it might be bouncing around their brains intellectually, but it is not dwelling in their hearts richly. Because if it did, they would be sharing it. They would be sharing it. Because a faith that is sincere, listen to me, a faith that is sincere is a faith that is shared. After 10 years as a pastor, I have been to too many funerals where people try to console themselves about the state of their loved ones who have passed on by saying phrases like this, Well, though they believed in God, it was a private faith. Oh, it was sincere. They just never talked about it. Listen, this verse, among many others in the pages of Scripture, blows that false hope of assurance right out of the water. For a faith that is silent is no faith at all. What does Romans 10, 9 through 10 state? Do you remember? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one's belie- one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What you truly believe in your heart of hearts will always, always, always come out of your mouth. That is why Jesus said these piercing and convicting words in Luke 12, 8 through 9. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Let me put it this way if no one around, around you knows you to be a Christian and a follower of Christ, you have good reason to wonder whether God knows you to be one as well. For a faith that is sincere is a faith that is shared. 
And as our verse here in Colossians shows us, that's not only true at the beginning of salvation, it is true all the way through. When the Word of Christ truly comes to dwell in you richly, you just can't sit on it. You're compelled to share it, to teach and admonish others with it. Like Elihu, Job's faithful friend, he declares in Job 32, 18-20, For I am full of words. The Spirit within me compels me. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Or like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. If there has not been a truth from God's Word that has ever driven you to the point of, out of compulsion, sharing it with someone else, I doubt whether you believe anything that the Word of God says. Because a faith that is sincere is a faith that is shared. If you know it to be true, you will declare it to be true to all those around you. When the Word of Christ comes to dwell in you richly, you will not grow fat, you'll grow fit. You'll be driven by a fiery conviction in your soul to share the mighty truth that you now know to be true. This is what happened in my own personal life. I went away to college and I was challenged in all of these beliefs. I had heard a thousand sermons. But it was when those truths became true to me that it lit a fire within me and I had to share the truth to others. When the Word of Christ comes to dwell in you richly, you will speak it. And what will the result be? What will the result be? Spiritual maturity. It's interesting, as Paul mentions back in chapter 1, verse 28, if you remember, he said this, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone. That's admonishing everyone. It's the exact same word. Everyone. And teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. When the word of Christ is admonished and when the word of Christ is taught, what happens is the people of Christ grow mature. When the word of Christ begins to dwell in us richly, then all of us, every single member of this church becomes a minister. All of us start to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And in every conversation, we start to encourage each other daily in the truths of God's word. The result, we start growing, we start maturing to the honor and glory of Christ. So this is the first result of being enlivened by the Word of Christ, of letting it fill us, like Mountain Dew, as many people have joked with me this last week, right? The result of that, of drinking in God's Word fully, is that you have to share it. You have to. The sharing of truth. But Paul mentions a second result that comes from letting the Word of Christ and the Word of life dwell in us richly, and that is, second, the singing of truth. Not just the sharing of it, but the singing of it. Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, when, when the glorious truth of who Jesus is and what he has done comes to fill your soul and you are gripped with the absolute assurance of it, it flows out of you, not only by sharing the truth, but also by singing it. I was at a running event several months ago and I was able to strike up a conversation with one of the dads standing next to me on the sidelines. As we introduced ourselves, I told him I was a pastor and he told me he was a rap singer. It's like the start of a joke. 
So we had a good laugh. And then we proceeded to talk for the next hour straight. It was a wonderful time. But one of the things this man mentioned that he recognized, even though he said that he was not a Christian, was that no matter where Christianity went around the globe, singing always followed, but he didn't know why. And, oh, God gave me grace in that moment because my answer was, it's because we have something to sing about. No matter where we are or what we're going through around the globe, we have a Christ that causes us to sing. We have Christ, all that He is, all that He's done, and all that He's doing. As Psalms 98 verses 1 through 2 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Why? For He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. Therefore, just like Psalms 33 verse 1 says, We ought to shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous, because praise befits. It is fitting of a righteous man. Praise befits the upright. This is why, from the very beginning, the church has been a singing church. It's because Christians have something to sing about. We can be in absolute, abject poverty and persecution and still be singing because there is a joy no man can rip away from our soul. Christ. As one hymn writer wrote, The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. All things are mine since I am His. How can I keep from singing? No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? This is what Paul is saying here. That when you let the word, that is the message, the good news of Jesus Christ lodge deep within you, what's produced is thankfulness in your hearts towards God. And that thankfulness in your hearts is expressed in song. In song. Just think about it. Think about what we've already learned about Jesus in this book. Think of Colossians 1, 15-18, where we learned, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For from Him, for by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. What does that make you want to do when you let that Word fill you richly? It makes you want to sing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Crown Him Lord of all. Think of Colossians 2, 9-15. through where we learned that in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. What does that want you to do? What does that make you want to do? It makes you want to be thankful And that makes you want to sing. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. 
My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. These are why the songs exist. It's because the Savior exists. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though as vile as he, wash all my sins away. Think of Colossians 3, 3-4, where we learn that for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When those truths fill your heart, what does that do that makes you want to sing? Complete in Him, no work of mine can take, dear Lord, the place of Thine. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and I am now complete in Thee. You see, as the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ lodges itself deep within you, it produces a heart of thanksgiving that erupts itself in overwhelming praise. For all that He is and all that He's done for me in Christ, God deserves for me a sacrifice of praise continually. As Hebrews 11.15 states, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Are you a singing person? It's been my conviction this past week. I ought to have a song in my heart. I ought to have praise on my lips. I ought to be humming the worship of my Savior throughout the week. And I don't as much as I ought to. You know what that shows me? I must meditate on the good news of Jesus Christ far more than I am right now. I want the Word of Christ. I want the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly so that I can go around singing songs to the praises of Christ continually. So these are the two results of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You start sharing the truth and you start singing the truth. This is so important to remember because what it reminds us, by the way, is that true worship And a true worship experience cannot be manufactured by externals on a Sunday morning. Now to be clear, there are some external things that a church can do that either hinders or encourages the worship of God's people, but worship itself cannot be created by externals. No, true worship is created in the heart as a response to the truth, namely of Christ. And therefore, if a church wants to encourage rich and meaningful worship, then their primary task is to make sure that they're communicating the message of Christ clearly and richly for the hearts of their congregation. Because true worship can only occur where the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. And when the Word of Christ begins to dwell in you richly, when you begin to read it and heed it as you ought, in conviction you start sharing the truth, and in thanksgiving you start singing it. And so if you want to magnify Christ above all on a daily basis, then you must make it your daily priority to let the peace of Christ rule. You must make it your daily priority to let the word of Christ dwell. And then finally, in conclusion, you must make it your daily priority to let the name of Christ prevail. Paul writes in verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Isn't that a beautiful summary? Ever since the beginning of this chapter, Paul has been continually hammering away at this point. What does it look like when Christ is your life? 
And he's been describing it in various ways, but he's been sharpening the focus continually, right? What does it look like when Christ is your life? Well, you could say that it looks like a life that puts off sin and puts on righteousness, as he said earlier. You could say that it looks like a life that puts on love. Or you could just say that it's a life that's ruled by the peace of Christ or filled with the word of Christ. But if you want to condense it all into one single sentence, if you want to magnify Christ above all on a daily basis and show the world that Jesus Christ is your life, then whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is what a Christ-exalting life looks like. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is, do everything in agreement with who Christ is and what He desires We'll start seeing next week what that actually looks like. Whether you are a wife or a husband, a child or a parent, an employer or an employee, a citizen or a ruler, a church member or a church leader, you must make it your priority to engage in everything with this mindset. I say this and I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in full agreement with Him. Wow. If that could be the filter of our lives. You know what will happen if you start that, to develop that mindset and that priority daily? Two things will happen. Two things. First, there's going to be a lot of things that you do not say, and there's going to be a lot of things that you do not do because you cannot do them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? You'll start killing that sin that Paul talked about earlier in this chapter. You're going to start putting to death what is earthly within you. And second, and second, your entire day is going to become a worship service. As you begin to make it your mission to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, you're going to start letting the peace of Christ rule. You're going to start letting the word of Christ dwell and you're going to start putting on the love and the virtue of Jesus Christ himself. And you know what else? As you begin to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, you'll start giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, as you develop a constant mindfulness and priority of doing everything out of a heart of worship and appreciation for Jesus, you will develop a spirit of thankfulness. And I want you to notice three times in these three verses, the idea of thankfulness is given. Verse 15, if you haven't noticed it yet so far in our study, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and do indeed in which you are called into one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In all three verses, it is always the same. The protector of peace, the source of singing, and the result of reverence is always thanksgiving. Always thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. The Christian life does not exist without thankfulness. Romans chapter 1, it is those who deny God that do not give Him thanks. What makes a Christian life truly Christian? Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Are you known as a thankful person? This shows us how important it is in our Christian walk to cultivate thankfulness. See, when we're not thankful, when we are not spiritually content, 
then we fall easy prey to those false hopes, false ideas, and false experiences mentioned in chapter 2, and we become easy prey for those spreading the divisive doctrines mentioned in chapter 3. One of our greatest spiritual dangers as Christians is becoming discontent and unthankful of not being satisfied in Christ above all. When someone or something comes along saying, hey, Christ isn't enough. Take a look at this. We have fullness. We have freedom. If you're not thankful, you're going to fall prey to that lie. But if we are thankful, then we are safe from Satan's sales pitch. It's like when I was growing up, and I answered a phone call from my parents, from a salesman who was trying to sell us an over-the-air TV antenna. And even though I told him I wasn't interested, he had this whole slick routine until he asked me, well, listen, you're out there in the country, and I can assure you, you get a lot more channels than you're getting right now. How many channels are you getting right now? And I told him back then, about 40. He immediately paused and he said, really? What do you guys have, like one of those huge directional antennas? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, well, okay, have a good day. And he hung up. (laughs) See, I didn't fall prey to his sales pitch because I didn't need what he was selling. I was thoroughly content and thankful for what I had. I didn't fall prey to his tactics because I was content. I was thankful. This is the key to living a life that honors and glorifies Christ above all. Thankfulness is the protector of peace, the source of singing, and the result of reverence. So that when Satan comes along telling you Christ is not enough, you can say, no thank you, Satan. I have all I need. I have fullness. I have freedom. I have Jesus. It's from a heart of that kind of thanksgiving that all of our Christian daily priorities grow. This was a conviction for me. And so this has been the practice that I've started doing as I'm laying down in the silence of my own pillow at night as I've been thinking about what's, going, what's gone on for the day, and I thank the Lord for the events of the day, and most of all, I thank Him for the Lord who was over them. Because I recognize that the only way I will ever honor and exalt Christ in this world is if I maintain a spirit of thankfulness towards Him. It's the protector of my peace. It's the protector of my peace. It is the source of my singing. And it is the result of my reverence. And so if you want to magnify Christ above all and demonstrate to those around you on a daily basis that Christ is your life, then you must make it your daily priority to let the peace of Christ rule, the word of Christ dwell, and the name of Christ prevail to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that in all things, He might be preeminent Christ above all. So these are our daily priorities in Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule, let the word of Christ dwell, and let the name of Christ prevail and be thankful. This is the word of God from Colossians 3, 15-17, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in all the roles that God has given you here on earth until Christ, who is our life, appears. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for everything that he is. The supreme and sufficient one. And we thank you for everything that he has done. 
shedding His blood on the cross in payment for our sins and rising again in victory on the third day. Father, help us. Help us to not be grumblers or complainers. Help us to shine as lights in this world by being people of thanksgiving. Father, keep us grateful. Keep us praising. Keep us singing. Keep us peaceful. Keep us reverent by keeping us thankful. Give us grace towards this end this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.